I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. I'm so excited to discuss my sponsor today, which is Page One Books, because my summer book bundle is ready on pageonebooks.com. And the bundle that I've put together includes three books that I picked, uh, Montauk by Nicola Harrison, More Myself by Alicia Keys, and I Miss You When I Blink by Mary Laura Philpot, all of which have been on this podcast here. Uh, it includes a Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, Beach Tote, a cute little library card pencil slash cosmetic case, and a water bottle for staying hydrated, plus a little... Um, thing of sun lotion. So go to page1books.com, page one with the number one. So page number one books.com and check out my page one books summer bundle. Buy it as a gift, a housewarming, if you actually go somewhere or just give it to yourself. Everybody needs a treat. We've had a long spring. <laughs> page one books.com. Hey everyone, I am so excited, but I'm trying something new this week. I'm doing a July book blast. So I'm releasing a ton of episodes for 10 days in July for a couple of reasons. One, a lot of these are books that came out during the quarantine and talk about the quarantine and are very timely and I don't want them sitting around for too long. These authors deserve to have their books out there. So I had a little bit of a backlog and I want to get them out so you can enjoy them. And the second reason is because a lot of these are great books to read in the summer, and I didn't want to start releasing these episodes in September when there's less time to read. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there'll be more time to read if school actually starts. Anyway, this is your July book blast, and today is the first day of the book blast, and I'm calling this Memoir Mondays. So today you're going to hear from some of my favorite recent memoirists about their books, and I really hope you enjoy every one of them. I had such a good time talking to Janine Reed. I felt like I could talk to her forever after reading her memoir, like I knew her or something. I'm sure everybody says that. But anyway, we had the best conversation. Janine is a mother and the author of the memoir called The Opposite of Certainty, Fear, Faith, and Life in Between. She hopes to help others find hidden strength and hope in an unpredictable world and to inspire us all to come through seemingly impossible times transformed by sharing the story of her own reluctant journey through the completely unimaginable. I mean, how good does that sound? Janine's work has been published in the Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, and San Francisco Chronicle and is widely syndicated. She currently lives in California. Welcome, Janine. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. <laughs> Thank you, Zibby. It's wonderful to meet you and to see you face-to-face -face through the computer screen. You too. Yes, for listeners, we're doing this via Skype, but just for us, I guess. <laughs> and this is our second try because we had some technical problems, but we're starting over so you all get great sound. Janine's memoir, I feel silly even sounding so upbeat because although there is so much uplifting about it, but it goes into the depths of, of so much emotion and pain and hope and just there's so much in it. It's called The Opposite of Certainty, Fear, Faith, and Life in Between. So maybe, Janine, you could just tell listeners a little more about the memoir and, and how you remembered everything in order to write about this time of your life. Yeah. Well, I like to say that the book is about what's real and true when what's real and true can't be happening. And it coincidentally, it was born into this unprecedented, uncertain time. So people might be able to relate to that premise. So it's about me trying to be the best mom in the world, right? As we do, we take, you know, I had a professional career previously and I took all those skills and I was determined that my kids would never be hurt, scared or scarred. 
And this is a story about what happens when I come up against a foe that I actually can't control. And how do we manage that? And how do we dive deeply inside of ourselves when all these outside circumstances are so unmanageable? The book is about a period of my life, which was, of course, very difficult and also extremely transforming. And I, uh, how I remembered it, first of all, there's some things that I've, I'll never forget. And then I also have a core group of friends that who I was emailing and texting. And thank goodness I had that electronic record because I am a writer and I was a writer at the time and I intended to keep detailed notes. And there are some notes, but I have this thing where I keep journals and I don't know which journal is which and <laughs> boxes, those, those plastic boxes full of handwritten notes. But what was most helpful were the, were the, was the correspondence with my friends because there was just this element of dropping down and saying, help, this is what's really going on with me at that moment. And that's where the book is born out of, at literally working from those documents to tell the story. So in the beginning of your book, you talk about your son, Mason, and how at first you thought he just had some mild headaches and a little tremor. And the first doctor you saw brushed it off as nothing more than migraines, essentially. Although you did defend her later in saying, another doctor defended her, I should say, really. <laughs> but then you get this blow when you find out that he has a brain tumor and he finds out and you have to deal with telling him finding out in the backseat of the car and you like having to wait for the biopsy. It's just like one, it's like every parent's worst nightmare is what you basically yeah. documented. And yet you, you did it and you wrote about it and- Oh my gosh. What So like, what was that time? What was it like for you? I mean, I know from reading, but just to share with others, especially the beginning is. Yeah. Well, I, I had this illusion that I was safe, you know, like I, I pulled together a life I'd had, you know, I, I grew up in a family with alcoholism and I bring that up because it shaped me like, you know, like the cypress trees in Monterey are shaped by the wind. I was shaped in a certain way. And the way I was shaped was that I was going to control most everything possible. Right. And things could be okay. And here I was in this finding out that there was no way I could, if there was anything I could do to get, <laughs> you know, when it's something that has something in their brain, you just, you just, you can't dive in, right? It's the ultimate like powerlessness. But where I did have power was finding doctors and finding that voice inside of me. That first doctor told me basically what I wanted to hear was that your kid's normal, you're overreacting. I will take being an overreacting mom any day, you know? And yet my son's symptoms weren't going away. So we we had to keep, keep eking away, keep trying to find resources. And again, you know, being in that time and this gathering storm of something bigger than me. I remember you mentioned telling Mason he has a tumor. You know, I I was, well, I read a lot of books and a parenting books and I wanted, again, I wanted to do everything right. And I certainly didn't want to be having a conversation with my husband and having my son over here. You know, it was like, oh, that blow of, okay, this is not good, you know, and, and feeling, you know, I think mother, as mothers, we take on so much guilt and in the world too, you know, if you have a, mis a misbehaving kid, I remember when my oldest son threw sand at somebody in the sandbox and the mother looked at me as if I might, I had thrown sand at her child, right? We take on so much. And I really believe that, I really believe that I'd rather be wrong than powerless. 
You know, I'd rather have it be my fault than to be able to not be able to affect an outcome. And and one of the reasons for telling this story, I realized is, you know, it's like in our life, the safety rails got taken away. Yet I think a story is hopeful and I'm getting a lot of feedback from people that they read the book and they feel actually feel comforted and they feel positive. So it's not just a sad read. It's a story. We survived this. Therefore, you know, it's if I can survive the worst and learn these lessons, maybe they can be helpful to other people. Absolutely. I was just saying this to somebody else this week who I interviewed that there is it is all an illusion of safety, right? We're not safe. None of us are safe. But then from time to time, we get these big scares. And how you cope with it then changes the whole trajectory of the rest of your life. And books like yours are so essential because they give you a taste of what you know, but you don't want to face. And then they also tell you you're going to be okay too. And I think that's what draws people to books like yours, especially, I mean, yours in particular is is wonderful, but I think people need that. People need to know that like when you hit bottom, you'll be able to get through it because like Janine got through it and look how she did it and her husband, you know, know, it's just, um, I don't know. It's something so essential to getting through life is through hearing stories like yours. Absolutely. I agree. And I've always been drawn to, to stories of people walking through difficult times and I, and I, one of the things that I realized too is I've been girding myself. It takes so much energy to gird ourselves and to be so afraid in the world. And that is one of my defaults. It's just how I am. I'm wired as a very fearful person. <laughs> so I, I always say I was not qualified for this job of, you know, mother of a child with in an uncertain life, you know, and our life has continued to be uncertain. And it's not that I embrace that, like, oh, goody, you know, it's like extreme sports. You know, I don't believe in any sport that requires a helmet and a face guard for myself. You know, I'm a very like, let's be safe, let's be safe. And yet, you know what? I was okay. And I found the resources. It's like the Wizard of Oz. You know, Dorothy had the ruby slippers all along. And I found the resources inside of myself that I didn't know I had. And I'm just an ordinary person, too. I think that's another really important part of the story is that I'm not some like superhuman, you know, extreme meditator. I mean, I I admire people like that. I really do. And I read their books, but I'm just an ordinary scared mom. And yet I was able to access these resources and walk through what I really didn't think I could walk through. Would you mind if I just read the introduction that you wrote, which you called an invitation? Is that okay? I would love that. Okay. So this is after the amazing forward, by the way, by Anne Lamott, who was also on this podcast a long time ago. You write an invitation. From one breath to the next, we exist in a place where there are no guarantees. We buttress against uncertainty and resist its gravitational pull. People like me try to control everything we possibly can to be safe. Sometimes we're able to pretend that the ground underfoot is bedrock and the sky above predictable. This book is for anyone who is tired of clenching against circumstance or the news. It's not a how-to book or a how-not-to book. Oddly, in this story of my anything-but-predictable life, there is solace, because there is good, and I often call it God, that illogically shows up in surprising forms, and in the most exhausting and terrifying moments, beauty can be revealed in the imperfect terrain. My hope is to offer a companion in uncertain places, a place to identify in the heart of what's real and what matters. That is so beautiful. (laughs) 
I mean, I don't know how anyone could have listened. Is there anyone out there listening who does not want to go buy this book after reading that introduction? I don't know. I, I don't know who you are. No, I'm kidding. But And it just sets the whole tone for the rest of, of the story. There was also one passage I wanted to read about you and your husband, which I also thought was a really interesting sort of, you know, storyline sort of narrative as the two of you faced this together and how it affected your marriage, which of course is going to affect everyone in the family. But you wrote, Alan and I have come a long way and we will still fall short regularly, even on the days we look our shiniest on Facebook. It might help that we keep praying together, asking for strength that isn't limited by our exhaustion and pettiness. We share a life full of things and people to disagree about. We blame each other for how hard things get, how tired we are. We argue, we stew, and we come back together. It hasn't been easy, but so far, underneath any hurt feelings, we've unearthed the bond that brought us together, that keeps us together. We choose each other one more time, every time. I hope it's enough. Oh, <laughs> I'm literally like about to cry. It's so good. Janine, it's so good. Oh, anyway. <laughs> well, thank um, you, Zibi. Uh, thank you. You know, this is such, it's such a solid, solitary thing, writing a book. You understand this. It's like you're alone and, and does this make sense? To, will this make sense to anyone else? So it's so rewarding to have this phase of the journey to see that people, that it is universal, that people relate, that I'm not the only one, which is my whole life. That's all I wanted to hear is I, me too. I get it. I get it. And it's in that we, I find that connection, like, and I call it God, you know, I call that a higher power, that connection of, I get you. I get you. Yeah. Wow. So how did you, I know you mentioned you you kept notes and you knew you would go back on your emails, but were you sure this would be a book? Like, in the depths of all of it, were you like, this will definitely be a book, I'm going to tell my story? And then when were you ready to, to tackle this as a book project? Well, you know, I, I started writing about it and I thought it was going to be, I thought they were going to be essays. And then Anne Lamont is also my best friend. And at oh, one no point, <laughs> there's a little twist in the story. And Annie says to me, well, this is going to be this. Here's your book. And I go, book, book, I'm writing a book. And I took her word for it, you know, and so I just started writing. And I think it was also a way to the story had to come through me, you know, as a writer, Joan Didion has, I used to have it as a screensaver and I, I'm not good at quoting things exactly, but the gist is that, you know, she writes to understand what just happened, you know, what, what's real and what's true. What just came, what, what just happened to me and my family? And that's what I, I wrote. There were, and of course there are 5,000 drafts of this book, you know? So the first draft was very much annoying people and the stupid things they said. And then we, then, you know, it just started, the story got deeper and I got softer, you know, it was, I had to work through some of that resentment, that doctor you mentioned, I still think, you know, the missed, the missed diagnosis, not misdiagnosis, but missed, I still consider, do I want to drop off a copy of the book at her office? I haven't decided yet, but I hope she, I kind of hope she finds it, but to what end? I don't know. My mom at one point said, do you have the energy for this? You know, when it came to that sort of thing to, and I do need to conserve my energy on that. So the writing, you know, it just, it, it kind of took on a life of its own. I had to do it. There were times I thought, why am I not writing like a romance novel or a mystery, which are also hard to write, but perhaps there were days this was brutal emotionally because one of the 
And one of the skills that served me well growing up in alcoholism is I can pack away terror, like nuclear waste, right? So it was all there. And the writing was a chance to process that, to feel what it wasn't safe to feel at the time or expedient. Because I had to, you know, as as any mom knows, you tuck away what you have to because you have to function. You do what you have to do for your kids. And it's not a question of, well, I don't know how you do this. You just do what you have to do. So the writing was a chance to do that and process it like that as well. And then the other surprising thing in the writing and combing through, it was like a fine tooth comb through many drafts of this experience was spotting these, I call it the improbable good. And the, and the you know, I, I would think I was so focused on the miracle would be that Mason's tumor would disappear. And I even had a moment, you know, I remember we take Mason for frequent scans of his brain to monitor his tumor because it's not something that can be removed. And I remember looking at my older son, who's three years older than Mason, and thought comes to my mind, well, maybe I could take him for the scan and we'll get a clean scan. Like we'll cheat on the test, you know, we'll ace the SAT. Who cares who took it? And of course, that's, I realized that was an absolutely insane thought, but you know, these are the things that come up in, in my mind. And the writing was a chance to try to put some order to it and to find the grace. So, oh, so what I was saying about that miracle and the miracle would be that there would be no tumor. Well, I was so focused for so long on that miracle. And I had some people who are very serious about faith praying for that miracle, which would be great still. I, I, I would accept it. But in being fo- so focused on a miracle looking one way, I miss, could miss a lot of the grace that was happening in any given moment. The miracle of the nurse's aide who just put a hand on my shoulder and said, you know, baby, it's going to be okay. Those beautiful, beautiful moments that I, in the writing of this, and in, you know, a lot of them made it into the book, that was the grace of the book project. That was the grace of the writing was to go, oh, we were cared for every single minute. So I say too, how did I end up with more faith in God when a lot of my ideas about how God worked and what God was in my life had to be thrown away because they just didn't hold up to this kind of a circumstance. Wow. And I know you had another job and you talked about yourself, you know, heading off with your leather briefcase and, you know, your your very deliberate, (laughs) well thought out decision to stay at home with your kids and give that up. When did you know that you wanted to write? I know you've always loved to write, but tell me about your your relationship to writing. Well, I have, I have always written, you know, I've always been a reader I'm, I've always been a voracious reader. And I, I, it was funny because I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I get to talk about myself in these interviews since my book came out, which is fun, turns out. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? But I remember being a little girl and, you know, my parents are lovely and we've had so much healing of the alcoholism in our lives. My dad is sober a long time now, as am I. But there was a moment in my childhood, I remember looking at him and him raging or whatever was happening. I don't remember exactly, but I remember thinking, I will remember everything and I will write it down. <laughs> and that is my nature. You know, that that is how I'm cut. So there was that piece of it. So I'd always taken writing classes. I hadn't believed in myself as a writer so much. I was successful in my PR career. I could write in that way and other people's voices. And then there came a time when my kids were little and I was home with them and I'd always gotten a lot of identity from my career. 
and a lot of Atta girls from my career. And here I was, you know, letting go of that code of identity and feeling like there were certain settings I wasn't taken terribly seriously, which I resented and didn't love. And I felt like I needed to, for the greater good, you know, for me, it's, it's hard to put myself first. It just is, you know, I, I don't know why, but it just is. But I realized that at a certain point that for, for the good of my marriage, for the good of my children, I had to find me. I couldn't get lost in, I was literally being asked to make soup for kindergarten open houses. Can you please make a pot of soup? I mean, lovely idea to serve soup, but you know what? I wanted to pull my hair out. So I started taking in the year, it, what's wild is the year before Mason was diagnosed. And this is again, that synchronicity in my life. And when I look back, I call that God. I call that there was some sort of grace scaring me. I did a year long intensive with a great writing teacher, Natalie Goldberg. And this is the wonderful thing about my husband. When I went to him and said, I am losing my mind. I need something, you know, I need to feed this corner of me. I need to, I need something to bring to the family in terms of, you know, me. And I did four weeks, not all in a row, but it sustained me. And it, there was no, it was no accident looking back that I had that sustenance. I had that core of writing no matter what. And that story is coming through me and the truth coming through me. And sometimes I don't know what the truth is until it comes out my hand. You know, Natalie was very big on handwriting and, you know, I'm, I'm sure she still is. And that really, when when all else fails, pen to paper, what what's going on And that, I found myself in that again. And, you know, that's my experience as a writer. Other people have different ways of doing that. And not everybody is inclined to lose themselves in motherhood as I am, but I do have a lot of codependent tendencies that I work with that I, you know, it's my, it's my clay of my life that I need to work with and deal with as I go along. Wow. Do you have advice to aspiring authors? Yeah. Well, I think it's just go for it, go for it. And don't let anyone tell you your story is not important. I had people tell me my story was too sad. You know, the first agent I talked to just like recoiled as if from a hot flame and he didn't get it. He didn't get it, but it didn't stop me. And luckily I had a lot of support in my life where people were like, what the heck was that? You know, no, you keep going. And that's the other thing. It's important to create the community you need to find friends who will support you, who will read your work and say, you know what? I just love that line. I love that. What you said there, just, it just got me in the heart. That's, we need that. We need that support as writers and don't give up. And I have to say too, my abilities as a writer, I had continued to improve, you know, they, and they continue to improve. So just keep at it. I guess that's really it. Don't give up. No matter what, don't give up. It's the, it's the answer to all of life. No matter what, don't give up. You're loved. <laughs> and you're, if you, if you have that in you that says, do it, I listen to that. Well, I'm really glad you listened to it because your book was so good and it's always just such a gift when people share all of what you shared and it was just really great. So I'm sorry to be so effusive. (laughs) I'm not always like this, but I just really connected with it and thought it was so great. Probably my own need for control and try to make things perfect and I could just so easily put myself in your shoes. And anyway, so it was great. And has your family weathered this current homestay quarantine situation. Okay. Is everybody okay? Are you hanging in there? 
We're hanging in there. You know, we're pretty blessed. We're, we've got a nice setup here and everybody's home. And as a mom, that also makes me kind of happy in a weird way. It's it's hectic, as you well know. We all know, right? There's not a lot of silence, but it, it has been nice having everybody under, under one roof. And my daughter came home with a cat from college, too. So we have a little wow. animal drama, but that's okay. She learned that from me, you know? <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And thanks for our chat. Thank you, Zibby. It's been been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed listening to one of the amazing memoirists on my Memoir Monday, part of my July Book Blast. And this is a really special collection of podcasts, and I really hope you enjoyed it. So please keep listening to more. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at ZibbyOwens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much to Page One Books for sponsoring today's episode. I hope you'll all check out my summer beach bundle at pageonebooks.com. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Thank you.